Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. It is a beautiful Sunday morning, isn't it? And it's good to be back with you after three Sundays, and I guess I had better be back, as you have told me. What a joy again to gather here in God's house and to hear his word and to praise our God. The intellectual city of the world in his day, the city of Socrates, the city of Plato, the city of Pericles, the city of Demosthenes. Paul had left his workers back in Berea. He was on his second missionary journey, and you recall that it was the Troas when he had the great call to come into Macedonia. He had crossed into Europe and was up in Philippi. He had come down into Thessalonica. He was over in Berea, and then he came to this great city of Athens, the intellectual city of intelligent men in all the world. And he was there alone. Uh, Silas and Timothy had remained behind in Berea. And you may wonder, what did this man Paul, this little Jew from Tarsus, what did he do when he came to the city of Athens? Here he was all alone, and I've often wondered, how did he feel? But he, he walked the streets of Athens, and when he did, we are told that he was distressed within him. He had a pain and a sick in his heart, in his heart and he said to himself, why, this city is given over wholly to idolatry. All he saw, he saw temples, and he saw shrines, and he saw altars erected to false gods, and it pained him deeply. We are told that he went into the synagogues that were found in Athens, and he discussed this matter with some of the fervent Jews, and while he was there, he told them about Jesus Christ also. He went to the marketplace and as the passers-by would come and he would engage them in conversation, he told them about God's Son, Jesus Christ. And then we are told that he met some of the philosophers of that day, the Stoics and the Epicureans, and they were interested in what Paul was saying about this Jesus who arose from the dead, and they invited him to come to the Areopagus. Now, that means the hill of Ares, and Ares was the Greek god of war. The Romans called Ares Mars, and that's why it's called Mars Hill. They said, come to Mars Hill. This is where we dispute and where we like to hear strange things and new things, and we want to hear you. We once said to him, uh, we wonder what this babbler, uh, this uh, cracker box individual has to say. Uh, this man who, again, doesn't know what he's talking about. But we want to hear something about the strange cause that he's talking about and about this Jesus. So they went out to Mars Hill, and then Paul addressed, again, this group of the intelligentsia of his day. And he told them, he said, when I came into your city, he said, I walked around, he said, I see you're a very religious people. You have shrines and dollars erected to all the gods that you can remember, but I saw that you are so religious that lest you forgot one, you've got an altar erected to the unknown God. And then he said, whom you therefore worship ignorantly, this God that you are worshiping, you don't even know who he is. He said, him declare I unto you. And then Paul went on there on Mars Hill to those in Athens, and he preached unto them God's Christ. God's Son, the Lord Jesus, as you and I know him. And today on this ninth Sunday after Trinity, uh, from the Word of God, it is Paul standing on Mars Hill calling to you and to me as Christians, and he is saying, as I on Mars Hill, as I declared God's Christ, as I preached him, and as I bore witness, Paul calls to you and me as Christians this morning, and he says, I want you to do the same. I plead with you. You be a witness for Jesus Christ. I want you to declare him. I want you to win others for Christ. I want you to be Christ's salesman. 
I want you to sell Jesus Christ to others. I want you to do everything that you can do to see that others have Christ. And I wonder how you and I react to something like that. You say, Paul calls to the word of God from Mars Hill. He's talking to you as a Christian and to me this morning. He said, will you be a salesman for Jesus Christ? Will you sell him to others that others may have him? And I wonder if we don't get some kind of a reaction like this within your heart and within mine that we say, why? What is so important about giving Christ to somebody else? We may say, well, we have him. But after all, why give Christ to somebody else when other people, for the most part, are religious in their own way? We may say, why, the Athenians were religious. Why, they were religious. They had altars and shrines erected to every god that they could think of, even to an unknown god. And you and I may say, as long as people worship some kind of a god, as long as we're all trying to go to the same place, is it so desperately important and urgent that you and I be a salesman for Christ? and that we do everything that we can that another person may have Jesus Christ. Is that so important? Then we may also say to ourselves, after all, uh, is this justified that you and I do it? Do we have a right to butt into people who worship their own gods and who have their own religion? Do you and I have the right to simply go in and intrude on them? I wonder how many of us may say, uh, what right did Paul, this little Jew from Tarsus, have to go into Athens? The intelligence of this world founded there and to go in and to tell them about Jesus Christ. Uh, why didn't he stay home and tend to his tent making? Why don't individuals, why don't we stay home and take care of our knitting? We're Budinskis, you and I may say. Am I to be a Budinsky? Am I to go and intrude on somebody else when he has his religion and he's sincere? And I am to go and to witness to him for Christ is it desperately necessary and doesn't it mean that you and I become just plain budinskis? We become busybodies. We become rude. We become unkind. And when Paul calls to the word of God this morning from Mars Hill and he says to you and me as Christians, he says, will you be a salesman for Jesus Christ? Will you declare him? Will you go out to win somebody? Will you tell somebody about Jesus Christ? Will you do everything that you can in order to give Jesus Christ to somebody who may have him? And all because Paul would answer you, Neo, it's desperately important. It's a matter of life and death, even though you may feel you're a budinsky. And Paul would say because of this conviction that he had and he wants you and me to have, and that is that only Jesus Christ and no other person in all the world has eternal life and everlasting salvation to give, and he's the only one that proves that he's got it to give. Paul would say, this is why I want you to be a salesman for Christ. He and he alone, he is exclusive. He is the only person in all the world who has life and salvation to give. Apart from him, there is no other human being, there is no other person in the world that has eternal life to give that which you and I want. And we may say this morning, is that true, preacher? You mean to say that only Jesus Christ, he is that exclusive, that he stands alone, that no other person except Jesus Christ has eternal life to give, and that he alone has proved that he has it? And on the basis of the word of God, Paul would remind you me that's true. Paul was there in Athens and he was standing there before the intelligentsia of the world. He was humbly in the city all alone. But he was telling them about Jesus Christ. Why? Because he had a conviction that Jesus Christ and him alone, in him alone is our life and salvation because Paul would assure you and me in the first place that only Christ, he exclusively and no one else, 
He has satisfied God's justice against you and me and has proved it by his resurrection. Apart from Jesus Christ, I'd like to ask you, do you know of anybody else who has met the justice of God against you and me? The Word of God tells you and tells me that we're both sinners. We're all sinners. We have come short of the glory of God and we stand condemned. God is a God of love, but he's a God of justice. God says, the soul that sinneth it shall die. And because God is just, therefore God's justice damns my soul to hell and yours also and all men's because you and I stand as sinners. And being just, he can do no other but what he must condemn us. Otherwise he would prove to be an unjust God. Do you know of anybody else who has met this justice against you and me except Jesus Christ? Paul had a conviction, he knew Jesus Christ, that he was God's son who came into this world and became a human being, born of the Virgin Mary without sin, and he as the God-man, he went to the cross and he said to his heavenly Father, I want to satisfy your justice. Let me bear the brunt of their sins and damnation. Let me on the cross bear the equal of an eternal hell for the entire human race. And God did it and he met God's justice. And I ask you, do you know of anybody else? in any other religion in the world that has ever met the justice of God. And Paul says, and he proved it by his resurrection. And Paul, if you and I would say, how do you know he arose? Paul said, I saw him. I saw him on the Damascus way. And because there is no one except Jesus Christ who has met the justice of God, who took the wrath for you and me, and because there is no one, therefore, who has deliverance from hell to give except Christ, he and he alone. Therefore, is it is any wonder that Paul, he went to Athens, why he stood there on Mars Hill. Yes, he knew. Here he was, a humble Jew, telling about a Jesus that died on the cross and that arose again. But he did it. Why? It was burning within him because he knew this, that it was a desperate need of all men to have Jesus Christ. And we say to ourselves, well, then if this is it, if Paul calls to me that I am to be, again, a salesman, I am to sell Jesus Christ, I am to see that people with whom I come into contact will have Christ, then we ought to say, since this is so desperately necessary, even though we may feel that we're being Budinskis and we're intruding and it's rather rude, we ought to say to ourselves, I'm going to determine from this moment on that I'm never going to accuse myself of being a Budinsky when I talk to somebody about Jesus Christ. You know, it's rather strange, even in the church today, there are those that are saying the church is nothing but a Budinsky group are going and giving the message of Jesus Christ to others. Some churches are saying, we're withdrawing our help in foreign mission work. We are no longer going over. Men are saying the day of foreign mission work is done. Uh, we no longer are going to bring Jesus Christ to others. That isn't their need. They have their religion. Uh, they are sincere. Paul would say to you and me, remember, there is only one person that has eternal life to give, only one person that can deliver from death and hell. And there are those who are saying, now the church's job is to go out and feed the hungry and take care of the poor. We've been doing that. Is there anything wrong in doing both? If the church should give up this great desperate mission call that we are to go out and be salesmen for Christ because he alone has eternal life, does that mean we are but in stays? Is the church butting into individuals, people, if your neighbor's house is on fire and you see it in the middle of the night and you run up to the door and say, your house is on fire, are you budinsking? If you had a cure for cancer and you ran into a home at midnight and said, I've got a cure, are you a budinsking? You and I may say, well, how about the heathen? After all, Paul was speaking here 
he was over here on Mars Hill and he was telling them and he told them about God who had created the heavens and earth. He started out very nicely and he said, the God that you don't know has created the heavens and the earth. And he said, he has made all of us of one blood. Rather strange, isn't it? 2,000 years ago, he knew that human blood was all the same. We come from one origin from Adam and Eve. Human blood is the same whether you and I are a white man or a black man or a yellow man or a red man. And again, he says, God doesn't confine himself to temples. God doesn't need men to build him in gold and in silver and to engrave him in stone. He said, we are all God's offspring. And then he went on, he told these Stoics and these Epicureans about Jesus Christ. Here were the intelligentsia. The Epicureans, you and I know them. They were individuals who didn't believe in life after death. And their great motto was, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Live it up. And their great God was pleasure. And the Stoic, he was a little different. He was one who elevated human reason. He was the one that said, what I can't understand that I don't believe. And therefore, he said, you must be oblivious to pain in this world or to joy. You must be indifferent. And therefore, when in life you feel that you have lived it, you may take your own life. It is perfectly all right. There was no Christ there. There was no Christ. You say about the heathen, may I say this, in the word of God, God doesn't tell us what's going to happen to the man who has never heard about Jesus Christ. But the word of God does tell you and me that only Christ and he exclusively has eternal life to give. Let's leave the heathen to God. But if there's anybody here this morning who has never embraced Jesus Christ, you can never stand before God and say you didn't have an opportunity. You and I need to look into our homes and amongst the people where we work and say, this man's without Christ, he's lost, he's damned. Because only in Christ, only in Christ is there again one who has borne hell for you and me. To look at a man without Jesus means to say, and to say it definitely, my loved one, because he's without Christ, he's lost, he's damned. When you and I can say that, we can say, I'm not a Budinsky. Then there comes this comfort that if we are Budinskys, we're in good company because we're in the company of Jesus. He said, go and make disciples, didn't he? If we're at the risk of being a Budinsky, of being an intruder. Nevertheless, Paul then was an intruder. But Paul says, and he speaks to you and me from Mars Hill, he says, go out. And you be a salesman for Jesus Christ. And we may say, Why? Is it so desperately important? Doesn't that make us buddy-in-skis? Doesn't that make us individuals that, oh, we become rude? We are intruding where we have no right. And Paul says there's only one who has eternal life and who has proved it by his resurrection because Paul, in the second place, would remind you and me that only Christ, he exclusively, no other person in all the world, has the righteousness that you and I need for heaven. And Christ has proved it by his resurrection. Do you know of anybody else in all the world who has a righteousness that saves? And it's got to be a perfect righteousness. You and I don't have this perfect righteousness. No other God that you and I have ever heard of has this righteousness. But Jesus Christ, God's Son, he has it, doesn't he? And when he died on the cross for you and me and he bore the justice of God, God gave him a perfect righteousness for the entire human race because it was an eternal sacrifice. And therefore, he and he alone... He has that passport to heaven that you and I need. It is a perfect 100% righteousness that he earned for you and me, and he proved it by his resurrection. He arose from the dead and says, Here, I have the ticket to heaven. Here is the righteousness that you need. I give you, therefore, not only an eternal rescue from hell, but I give you eternal life at the end of life's way. And what a joy to know that at death and when we have this Christ, that he and he alone assures us that we shall go to the eternal mansions, that it shall be the end of sorrow and heartache and unrest 
and frustration and cases of nerves and whatever you and I may have that makes life miserable to know that we have heaven with him. This is the difference. So again, we may say to ourselves and excuse ourselves, well, I don't want to be a Budinsky. It's none of my business. But when Paul from Marshall says, listen, you Christians, I want you to declare Jesus Christ as I have declared him. I want you to know that it's tremendously important. We ought to say to ourselves this morning, at the risk of others thinking we're simply nothing but Budinskis and we're simply intruding and we're being uncut, we ought to say, I ought to begin in my life today to take every opportunity to be a salesman for Jesus Christ. He is of such vital importance. A man needs him. And when we would take every occasion, it's rather strange how many occasions and opportunities arise in your life and mine when we look for them and we're ready for them. I don't know about you, but I was rather pleased the other night in the Marion Star when I saw six pictures of six men in our school system who were advanced and promoted. And I was very pleased that three of them belong here at Emmanuel. Sometimes people say, what is Emmanuel doing for the kingdom of God? There was Marion Shank. There was Jerry Emery. There was Vaughn Williams. What a tremendous opportunity those three men have as Christians as they deal with our young people to say something for Jesus Christ, to put in a good word. And two on the school board, Lois Morgan and Johnny Walker belong to us. And I say to them, well, what, what an opportunity. What an opportunity to be a salesman for Christ when men desperately need it. And in your life and mine, just one day to this very past week, we talk about opportunity. Besides the regular work that I had, six opportunities came to me in that day that I never dreamed would come to do something about Jesus Christ. One was a call, would you go to intensive care at Marion General Hospital? An elderly man with a heart attack, very seriously ill, would you offer him the comfort of Christ? And I did. When I left his bed, it was dark in there. The nurse said, here's a man in this bed that I didn't see him, couldn't tell who he was. He would like to have you talk to him. He had had a heart attack Friday morning. Would you comfort him? He asked for you. Over across to the other hospital, one again said, there's a man from the outside, from out of town. He's up in the life uh, service unit, and uh, would you go up and would you comfort him in death? There's another one up there. Would you go, been in the serious auto accident, in this life extension unit, would you go and help that person. In other words, somebody's mother is in intensive care here who needs some spiritual guidance. Would you go? Here's a young man that is paralyzed from his shoulders on down. Uh, he, again, at times becomes rather bitter. Would you go in and would you talk to him? And you come out when you say to yourself, what, what opportunities do you have? What do you have in your life? Where you are? Oh, again, maybe life's become humdrum for you. Maybe, again, you're so bored with what you're doing you can hardly stand it. I wonder if you'd go to work tomorrow morning and you'd say, this is the means to an end. I wonder if I haven't got an opportunity just to be a salesman. Some little kindness, some little word, something about Jesus Christ. It will, again, it will make life worth living. It will, again, put a little spice, a little joy. It will put a little fun. There is no greater joy well, then again, you may call it being a Budinsky, but oh, to offer some little kind word about Christ as Lord and Savior, and to have individuals appreciate it. 
Paul called some Mars Hill, and Paul, again, lonely guy in the city of Athens, uh, standing there, and he goes again, and here before him, no doubt he was scared to death to speak to that group, but here are the intellectuals of the world, and here are little Jews going to tell them about Jesus, who arose from the dead. What would they think about him? But oh, again, he knew this. This was the conviction of his soul, of that only Christ, this exclusive person, no other person in all the world, has eternal life and salvation to give. And again, he assures you and me that no other person except Jesus Christ is going to come again, who is going to have the final word in your eternal destiny and mine, and in the eternal destiny of the entire human race. And he proved it by his resurrection. Paul stood up there at Marshall that day, and he told them, he says, I'm talking to you about Jesus. And he says, this Jesus, this God that you don't know has appointed him, and he's coming back. Paul knew he was coming back because he saw him alive. He who had conquered the grave was going to come back and Paul said, he is going to judge the world. All men are going to stand before him. Do you know of anybody else? Do you know of any other person that's going to come back and judge the entire human race and raise every man from the dead? And, oh, how necessary that others have Jesus Christ because he and he alone, he is so exclusive. He's the only one that's got glory for your bodies and mine in him that he says, I'll give you a glorified body when I raise it from the dead if you have me. He's the only one that has the power to create new heavens and a new earth to reunite you and me with our loved ones and to live forever with him in his eternal kingdom where I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Do you know of anybody that is like that except Jesus Christ? Yet isn't it strange when we say to ourselves, and I am to witness and to be a salesman, I'm to sell Jesus Christ, to do everything I can that somebody may have him, and then to say, oh, is it important that another person has Christ, I have him. But as long as he's sincere, as long as he's working to go to the same place, uh, isn't this all right? And am I not being a busybody? And am I not being a buddy And shouldn't I stay home and take care of my knitting? I haven't any right to talk to those people. Paul says, oh, listen. Paul says, it's desperate. Only Christ is going to give us the eternal assurance of paradise regained. We ought to say to ourselves then, I'm going to, this day, I'm going to be a witness. I'm going to stop apologizing and stop excusing myself. I cannot be a Budinsky. I haven't any right. I'm being rude. I shouldn't talk to somebody who doesn't have Christ because he's got what he believes and he's got his own religion. Even though he doesn't have Christ, it's going to be all right. I must not risk being embarrassed or butting in on him. Oh, God forbid. That you and I may do it with enthusiasm and with, again, with a real feeling of confidence that when we talk about Christ, believe you me, it does something. Well, you may say, well, what happened, preacher? Well, I know in the New Testament there's no book to the Athenians, is there? Some say Paul failed at Athens. There's no book. He didn't establish a congregation there. You got, again, two letters to the congregation at Corinth. You got letters to the Thessalonica congregation there, two of them. You got, again, you've got letters to so many of the places, Ephesus, and you don't have any to Athens. And they say, well, what, what about it? Well, we are told that when he finished, he was alone, mind you, in this big city. We are told that when he finished at Sembley, there was a Dionysius. He was an Areopagite. He belonged to the Mars Hill Council. He belonged to town council. He was a man of some reputation, he believed. And then there was a woman by the name of Damaris, whoever she was, 
And then it says others. There weren't too many. And then Paul left, but he, he witnessed. And yet tradition tells us that uh, this Dionysius became the first bishop of Athens. We aren't sure about that. But uh, I can say this nearly... 2,000 years later, over 1,900 years, I visited Athens. Thanks to you, when I left the Holy Land, the last stop before coming home was Athens. And I wanted to, I wanted to have the thrill of walking down the streets of Athens, of uh, just feeling alone like Paul did. That little Jew, big city. And here again, when I walked, here was the ruins of the Temple of Zeus, and here were the altars still standing. And I went to the Acropolis, that's the high part of the city, and on the west of the Acropolis, there's Mars Hill, and I went up on Mars Hill with our group. And right above Mars Hill, there is the Parthenon. That was built before the time of Christ. Parthenos means virgin. This was the temple built to the virgin Athena, who was the patron, again, goddess of the city of Athens. The most magnificent, said to be, piece of architecture the world has ever seen. They pride it very much with joy. But I was there and uh, stood at Mars Hill, and we read Mars Hill. Several read it. We heard the story, and I wondered, what good did it do, this little Jew there? But you know, the day that I came into Athens, the man who met us at the airport said, you can't shop today, it's a holiday. And that's why I said to him, what's the holiday? And he said, well, the whole city is closed down after him because he says, today is the day that commemorates the death of Mary. The death of Mary. A holiday. So I thought to myself, did it do any good for the little Jew, the little warhorse, to stand on Mars Hill and to tell him about Jesus? Nearly 2,000 years later, they had a holiday. Oh, Christianity has penetrated so much that, again, the day that commemorated the death of Mary, the mother of Jesus, they closed down. Who knows? Oh, that when you and I may say, this does something. There is power. And it means an increased faith in you and me so that we don't have to dread too much the day of our death. Oh, to dread this day of death. How we meet individuals, if you and I only knew. I think of William Randolph Hearst, the great journalist and newspaper owner, who, again, would never allow the word death to be mentioned in his presence. He was so afraid of death. There was Mrs. Winchester from the rifle fortune. She had the idea that she could delay death indefinitely in her life if she would always have an incomplete project, that there would always be something in her life that she had never finished. Yet death came in her home in San Jose, California, we're told, is a hodgepodge of unfinished corridors and staircases. She never would allow her palace to be finished, thinking that she could stave off death so afraid. Are you afraid of death? It's coming, isn't it? The shadow is there. You and I say, I, I know I'm going to die. What's one of the grandest remedies to do away with the dread of death? It's to, again, as Paul calls to Mars Hill, go out and you win somebody else for Jesus Christ. And your faith will grow in that as you face the shadow of death, you can, you can take his hand in joy and you can say, lead kindly light amid the encircling gloom laid thou me on the night is dark and I am far from home lead thou me on keep thou my feet I do not ask to see the distant scene no one step enough for me lead on kindly light oh for God's sakes let's be Budinsky's for Jesus Christ. Amen.
the peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.